Welcome to Journey in the Word with Pastor Randy Mosher of Calvary Chapel, the Cumberland Valley. We are located in Hagerstown, Maryland. Please join us every weekday as our pastor takes us verse by verse through a book of the Bible. Today, we're picking up in chapter 8 of the Gospel of Luke. Follow along as we examine the parable of the sower and its interpretation. So if you're able, grab your Bibles and join us as we continue our Journey in the Word. In reading this, we get the impression from what Jesus is saying here is that God only gives answers and reveals truth to a chosen few. As some suggest, he only reveals hidden truth, you know, hidden the mysteries of Scripture to those that he's predestined to salvation while closing the eyes and the ears of everyone else. But is that what Jesus is really saying here? Is that true? My answer to you is not at all. Not at all. It is true that that spiritual truth remains a mystery to some people, like many of the Pharisees and, and the people who Jesus was speaking truth to in the vast multitudes that have gathered. There are many people who are spiritually blind and even deaf, even though they can physically see and physically hear. But the implication is that it isn't because God predestined them to be that way or is keeping them that way but it's because they themselves have made themselves. They have chosen to be deaf. They have chosen to be this way by their own choice. They have closed their eyes. They've closed their ears to Jesus and his message of truth that he's speaking to them. And and Jesus is simply confirming. He's simply sealing that blindness and deafness of their own hearts, just like God did with Pharaoh. You know, people always point to Pharaoh and they say, you know, right there, God predestined Pharaoh to to not understand, to not see what he's doing, to not respond. But remember this. Remember in Exodus where Moses was dealing with Pharaoh before God hardened Pharaoh's heart, Pharaoh repeatedly and continuously what hardened his own heart, we're told. Even though God several times states in those scriptures that he would harden Pharaoh's heart, Pharaoh himself initiated the whole process by hardening his heart ten times, ten times during the first five plagues before God ever did it. Pharaoh did this. So when God initially spoke of hardening Pharaoh's heart, he was speaking prophetically of what he would do in confirming what Pharaoh himself was choosing to do, turning Pharaoh over to his own heart, which Pharaoh himself had hardened against God. And God will turn a man or a woman over to themselves and what they want. I believe our world is an example of that right now. The the world, and, and we could say it's right now, but it's always been, but we just see it on hyperdrive right now. I believe that God's turning man over to what he wants. If that's what you want to worship, if that's what you want your life to be about, if that's what you want to invest yourself in, then go for it. I believe God's doing that with Christians today. I believe he's looking at some Christians and just saying, if that's what you want to invest yourself in, so be it. I turn you over to your own heart. And that's what he did with Pharaoh. And now here in this passage, Jesus is basically saying the same thing, conveying the same idea. He's quoting from Isaiah chapter 6, verses 9 through 10, where the original language and the context in Isaiah both speak to the idea of God simply imposing upon his people what they have chosen for themselves by their own resistance against him and by the refusal to see and hear what he was saying to them. 
And so Jesus is using the statement in the same way, simply confirming, simply sealing the blindness and the deafness that many were choosing for themselves spiritually. It's not as many suggest that God didn't want them to understand truth so that they wouldn't be able to repent and be saved. He did want them to understand. He did want them to be saved. And, and to suggest otherwise is contradictory to, to the scriptures themselves and to Jesus' very words that he even spoke. John chapter 3, verses 16 through 17. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Don't twist those verses to make them say what they're not saying. Don't twist world into being, well, the world only being the world of those who he's predestined to salvation, because that's not what the scriptures are talking about, not even contextually. It's saying he sent his son into the world to pay the penalty of our sins so that the whole world, those who would believe, those who would choose to believe, could find life, because that's his desire. In fact, even here in this passage, by publicly sharing parables like this with people, he was revealing his desire to share truth with them, truth that he would reveal more fully if, if, if they wanted to understand that truth. I like how G. Campbell Morgan summed this up. He said this, Jesus used the parabolic method not in order to blind them, but in order to make them look again, not in order to prevent them from coming to forgiveness, but in order to lure them toward a new attention. That's the truth. But ultimately, the choice was theirs. The choice was theirs, as the choice still continues to be ours as well. Jesus did not, nor does he, give full understanding of truth to any man or woman who has no interest in understanding truth. In fact, when men or women reject wanting to understand truth, he allows it to remain a mystery to them, but not because he wants to withhold it from them, but because in their unbelief, they chose deafness and blindness for themselves. And yet, just because this is the choice that they make, it does not change the reality of the truth. And that's important, right? You can pretend the truth doesn't exist, but it doesn't change the fact that the truth exists. And his truth is the very thing that will judge them in the end. It's what Jesus said, right? Jesus says in John chapter 12, verses 44 through 48, Then Jesus cried out and said, He who believes in me believes not in me, but in him who sent me. And he who sees me sees him who sent me. I have come as a light into the world, and whoever believes in me should not abide in darkness. And if anyone hears my words and does not believe... I do not judge him, for I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. He who rejects me and does not receive my words has that which judges him. The word that I have spoken will judge him in the last day. Truth will be the judge, whether you refuse truth or not. Truth will be the judge. But to the ones who are now seeking to understand, Jesus gives them insight in this parable. And and it's beautifully simple, as all truths are to, to those who want to understand. Look on at verse 11. He lays it out now for those who've asked. Now the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. 
Simple enough, right? The seed is the word of God. Jesus says the seed is a picture of the word of God, the fullness of God's word found and fulfilled in the truth of the gospel, which he's now declaring to people. Now you'll note that the focus of this parable, again, is not the sower, nor is it the seed. The focus is the condition of the soils upon which the seed falls, which Jesus now goes on to explain the meaning of. Look at verse 12. Those by the wayside are the ones who hear. Then the devil comes and takes away the word out of their hearts, lest they should believe and be saved. And so here Jesus explains the condition and results of the first soil upon which the seed falls, like the beaten down paths, the hardened paths of the the, the field where the sower would move about. If the heart upon which the good seed of the gospel, which is too hard, falls upon ground that is too hard for that message to penetrate, to take root, then it's just going to lie dormant there. Nothing's going to happen to it. And eventually, just like Jesus says, the birds of the air, Satan and his minions will just swoop in and take it away. It'll prove nothing. It'll do nothing for that person. There are a lot of people like this in our world today. You know, it's easy to read this one and understand that there are a lot of people like this in our world today. Maybe even some who are watching, you know, on live stream right now or will watch a replay of this. Maybe it's you, you know, you've heard the message of from the word of God, but you're really not listening to it. You, you're resisting every point that's being made. You, you're just not listening. You're rejecting it in your own heart. You're justifying your rejection in your own heart and in your own mind. And before long, you won't even be thinking about it because, because the enemy will have swooped in and taken what little seed of it that fell upon your, your life. All I can say is that there is one solution to this, com, to this situation, and that's stated in Hosea chapter 10 and verse 12, where it says this, Sow for yourselves righteousness, reap in mercy, break up your fallow ground. For it is time to seek the Lord till he comes and raises right, rains righteousness upon you. Break up your fallow ground. Break up your fallow ground. How do you do that? Yield to the Lord. Quit resisting him. Quit fighting. You know, you're fighting. It's like Paul, you know, the apostle Paul. Paul, why are you kicking against the goats? You know, why are you doing that? Why are you kicking back? Break up your fallow ground. And here, as you begin to do that, God will, will fertilize your life. He will begin to till your life. He'll begin to open you up to being able to receive all that he's trying to say to you. Just as Paul says, though, remember this. Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 2, for he says, In an acceptable time I have heard you, and in the day of salvation I have helped you. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. It's not tomorrow. It's not next year. It's not after you get your life together. It's not after you figure everything out. It's not on your timetable. It's now, Paul says, because you don't know what tomorrow will bring. You don't know whether, and I'm not just talking about, you know, the pastors love to say this. If you don't accept Jesus today, you might go out and get hit by a truck when you leave church, you know, and you're going to die and you won't have a chance. Well, that could happen. That's true. But I'd say the greater danger is your own heart because you don't know how much harder your heart will be tomorrow when you've rejected today. That's just the truth. I believe I see that with people. The more they reject, the harder their heart becomes. And the harder their heart becomes, the harder it is for the gospel to penetrate. And that's what Jesus is talking about here. And he says in verse 13, But the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear, receive the word with joy, and these have no root, who believe for a while and in time of temptation fall away. 
Jesus next explains the seed that falls on the rocky soil, and he says that this is the person who has enough depth whereby the seed is received, and it even begins to take root and grow, maybe even explosively so. But because of the rocky hardness of the heart that lies just beneath the surface, there isn't enough depth or consistent moisture for the seed to be firmly established and to grow and to survive. Oh, this person's heart has more soil for the seed to penetrate than than the person who was just a hardened path kind of soil, completely different. But there there's enough spiritual desire in them where they they receive the word that's being spoken. There's an initial receptiveness to the truth when they hear it, and possibly even as I've mentioned, explosive growth or seeming explosive growth as a result of it. But after a while, when things become difficult facing temptations, where anxieties begin to creep in, or the difficulties associated with following Jesus and what he's asking of them as his, as his follower, there isn't enough depth of soil in their hearts for the seed of the gospel to actually have taken genuine root enough to sustain spiritual gro- growth in life. Now, this is not talking about someone who came to faith in Christ, but then who lost their salvation because they walked away from it. I know people will take this verse and use it for that. It's not. This is describing the man or woman who, although the things of the gospel stirred them initially, even seemed to change them somewhat for a time, they were never really saved to begin with. They never put their faith in the Lord. And as a result, the good seed of the gospel, of the truth of Jesus Christ, of God's word, never really got established, never fully took root in their hearts because it was enabled to break through the rock layer that was just beneath the surface of the soil that did exist in their life. You know, maybe it was the the things about Jesus that attracted them. Maybe it was the worship music, you know? We're living in a season right now where that's become secondary in a lot of places, you know, and, and it's amazing to watch the response to that. You know, I want, I want my music. I don't want the word. I want my music. Maybe for some people it was the, they loved the fellowship. They walked into church and, and suddenly it felt like a family. Look, there's nothing wrong with these things, but that's not the gospel. That's not the focus of the gospel. It's not what, what belief truly is. For some, they even liked the Bible teachings. They loved the Bible teachings. But ultimately, <laughs> ultimately, there was a hardness just beneath the surface because it was all about the wrong things. The gospel never penetrated and made it about Jesus himself, you see. And unless it's about Jesus himself, the likelihood of failure is very, very high. It just is. It is even in the lives of those of us who are believers when we start to lose our focus on what our lives are all about. It can be a danger for pastors, right? Or those in ministry where you're serving. You can get so wrapped up in your service and so wrapped up in that. It's all so good. It's all important. It's a part of what being in the body of Christ is all about. But ultimately, we can get so focused on that that the very thing that gives us life and health begins to fade away. We don't lose our salvation. I'm not a person who believes you lose your salvation. But it can drain us of what we need to really survive anyways because it gets our focus on wrong things, good things, but wrong things. It's about Jesus. That's what the gospel is about. It's about him. It's about what he's done. It's about your relationship with him, what he wants to do in your life with you personally. You see, 
So for these people, who knows what draws them, but in the end, they never really knew him. There's just rock there. Thayer, in his commentary, said, this is spoken of one who has but a superficial experience of divine truth, has not permitted it to make its way into the utmost recesses of his or her soul. This is not a safe person. This is terror among the weeds. Tares among the weeds. That's what it is. Look at verse 14. Now, the ones that fell among thorns are those who, when they have heard, go out and are choked with cares, riches, and pleasures of life and bring no fruit to maturity. And so Jesus now describes the third soil upon which the good seed falls, but it's soil that still contains weeds, which although they've been turned under in the tilling process, they are still alive and they eventually begin to surface and grow all around the good seed that has taken root and is growing and they choke it out, as I said before, by depriving it of everything that it needs to be healthy and fruitful and in the, in the long run. And the weeds Jesus says he's referring to are cares, riches, and pleasures of life. Cares, riches, and pleasures pleasures of life. These are weeds which he is implying should never have been simply turned under. <laughs> but they, there are weeds that should have been completely plucked out so that the good seed could experience healthy growth and come to fruitful maturity. You know, I am a lazy, lazy gardener. My wife is good at gardening. I'm terrible. When I go out and weeds are out there, I take the weed whacker and I just whack them away from around the plant. But you know what the problem with that is? They're still there. You can't see them, but the roots are still there, and they're going to grow back up, and they'll choke everything out. Or the other thing I will do is I'll do exactly what's implied here. I'll just go out and turn them over. But I never take them out, you see. And Jesus is talking about these things being exactly like that. And, and the word cares is interesting because it's de derived from a root word, which means to be drawn in different directions and thus to be distracted the idea is that of being distracted, and that's exactly what happens. These are the weeds of life that if they're not properly dealt with, they're going to distract and they're going to draw a person in different directions than the direction they should be focused and looking into. May I just say to you, pull the weeds. Pull the weeds. Pull the weeds. Get them out. It doesn't matter how small or innocuous they might seem at the moment. Little weeds eventually grow into bigger weeds, and bigger weeds eventually crowd out and kill off good plants. Don't just till them under like the children of Israel did. You ever notice that in, in the book of Judges and other places? They would repent, but then it would say, but they didn't do this, or they didn't remove this. They, they, what they did is they put it out of sight, but they kept it around. I cannot tell you how many sins in my life that in the first part of my Christianity, I, 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 I renounced, but I never took the things associated with them out of my life. And I kept drifting back and wondered why I was always caught in the cycle of coming back to it. Because they were always there. Pull them out by their very roots. You were meant to live a fruitful Christian life. But if the weeds remain, they will grow and your fruitfulness will be hindered. This is why we need to put off and to put on the new man. Take off the old man, put on the new man, as Paul commands us to do throughout Scripture. Right? And it goes on in verse 15. He says this, but the ones that fell on the good ground are those who, having heard the word with a noble and good heart, keep it and bear fruit with patience. Jesus here describes the fourth and final soil. Good ground, good ground or good soil. He says that this depicts those with hearts yielded and willing to receive the good seed of his word. Ground unencumbered by rocks or weeds or hardness or any kind. This is, well, 
tilled and well-prepared and well-watered and well-fertilized soil, depicting the lives of, of people who not only hear God's word, but who keep it, but who keep it. As John 14, 15, Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. If you love me, keep my commandments. John 15, 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bear much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. Or Romans 6.22, but now having been set free from sin and having become slaves of God, you have your fruit to holiness and the end everlasting life. See, because of, of the condition of their hearts, the seed not only sinks down deep roots and grows because of this, but it grows to fruitful maturity in their lives with fruit that is continually and, 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 and consistently produced. And, and, and when Jesus remarks that they bear fruit with patience, that's significant. They bear fruit with patience. He isn't saying that they patiently bear f- fruit as we think of it, but the word patient can be better interpreted here as steadfastly. Steadfastly. In other words, this is the believer who, because of the soil of his or her heart and their attitude toward God and his word, that they bear fruit with steadfast endurance. It speaks of a person who, whose spiritual fruitfulness is a natural part of, of their life in Christ, and nothing gets in the way of it. Nothing disrupts or interferes with, with the bearing of fruit in their lives. Now, as I mentioned earlier, you'll note back in verse 8 that Jesus says here that this type of soil yielded a crop a hundredfold. But Mark, in his recording of this teaching, adds an expanded statement to that remark because he records Jesus saying this. Matthew, or I'm sorry, Matthew. Matthew chapter 13, verse 23. But he who receives seed on the good ground is he who hears the word and understands it, and indeed bears fruit and produces some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. Why is that significant? Well, because while all believers with hearts consisting of good spiritual soil will live live lives that are fruit bearing, not all believers will necessarily produce the same amount of fruit all the time. Fruit will come in its seasons. And some plants will produce more than others, but there's nothing wrong with that. In fact, Jesus was indicating that that was normal, <laughs> that that would be normal. While we all want to produce fruit a hundredfold, not all of us are going to produce it all the time a hundredfold. There are lots of factors that can impact that. Age and time, right? Growing in the Lord can impact that. Seasons, the season you're in at the moment can impact that. Pruning, fertilization, how much time you're spending sitting under good teaching or studying your Bible and learning and and being attuned to the Spirit, learning to be attuned to the Spirit. All that affects the ability to produce fruit, but fruit production to some degree will always happen in the lives of those whose hearts are rightly prepared to receive the good seed which God sows in their lives. May this always be the case with you and me. Amen? Well, look on. He says in verse 16, No one, when he has little lamp, covers it with a vessel or puts it under a bed, but sets it on a lampstand that those who enter may see the light, for nothing is secret that will not be revealed, nor anything hidden that will not be known and come to light. Therefore, take heed how you hear, for whoever has, to him more will be given, and whoever does not have, even what he seems to have, 
will be taken from him. So Jesus now continues and with this one last parable, a parable which both he and Mark record in the context of this same parable that we just studied of the sower and the seeds. This isn't just a parable intended for the general crowds, but, but it was specifically intended for those who have displayed spiritual interest and had asked questions, wanting to know what the former parable meant. What Jesus is doing, he's continuing on. He's sealing that teaching with this parable for them. Now, I know our Bibles break these up into separate parables, and we tend to have a view of them that way. See this as a continuation of the discussion he's just had, because that's what it is. Also, don't confuse this parable with a similar one found in Matthew chapter 5, verses 14 and 16. There is a similar one there, and they will look alike in a lot of ways, but the context is just a little bit different. In Matthew 5, the parable will have to do with your personal witness before men. But this passage here in this account has to do with the truth of God's word and our responsibility to share that truth with others as God reveals it to us. In other words, the things Jesus is revealing to them and his answer to them about this parable, he's telling them this is not a secret. This is not a secret just designed for you that you now have understanding. Go and tell others. Open it up for others. He's telling them so that they will tell others. Think about what he's saying here. No one, when he has little lamp, covers it with a vessel or puts it under a bed, but sets it on a lampstand that those who enter may see the light. Jesus is saying that once the lamp has been lit and it's throwing out much needed light, who would even think to cover it up or, or, or tuck it away under the bed where the light wouldn't be seen? The whole point is lighting lamp, you know, so that we can see and so then naturally so others can see. We don't light it for ourselves and then turn it out so somebody else stumbles. We keep it lit. He says, for nothing is secret that will not be revealed, nor anything hidden that will not be known and come to light. Jesus is saying that God's truth by its nature is meant to be revealed. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Journey in the Word, a verse-by-verse teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel of the Cumberland Valley. If you would like to listen to more teachings or find out more information about us, go to www.journeyintheword.org. That's www.journeyintheword.org. Thanks again for listening. We hope you'll tune in for our next episode as we continue our Journey in the Word.